Podcast. You know, there were a lot of moments of grieving that I experienced last year. Moments of loss, death, painful transition, moments that for sure took me down for a time. Moments that all of us go through. I was able to look back and see the opportunities for growth and learning. I spent some time thinking about the different ways we all grieve. I find it so interesting how different cultures grieve. For example, when experiencing loss, you might think sadness is a common response for loss, but some people find it very cliche and actually say even though they experience sorrow, they don't ever experience depression and they are not disabled by their grief. Some cultures prohibit sexual activity during a mourning period, and some believe young people who pass become angels, while other cultures never speak of their grief at all. How do you deal with grief? Do you do it in private with a support group? Do you push it down? Do you avoid it? Or maybe it's a mix of all these. On this episode, I want to talk about ordinary people and extraordinary grief. My guest for this episode is an author, a speaker. He's written several books, including a book called Bullets and Babies, a true inspiring story of Janice Riddle, who awakens to find herself paralyzed. In the book, you'll see her gripping with her own new life dealing with her kids, and the husband who shot her and abandoned her. You'll also see the undercurrent of the author, Richard Ballow, and his story, meeting his wife, Lisa, and then later losing her to cancer. And I want him to share his powerful journey with grief. And in his story, maybe you'll see a little inspiration. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you, Dee. You know, grief is such an interesting, uh, huge topic to talk about, and I think we all deal with it in such a different way. I mean, it's it's. I'm sure you you find it to be true as well, as you seem not only to have gone through uh, so many uh, big moments of grief in your life, but also that that we're you're seeing other people and and their moments too. We're all like snowflakes in this. We all deal with grief in such different ways. Well, that's true. We all deal with it in different ways, even though some of the phases and emotions are very familiar to everyone, as depression and anger and all of that. But we're all individuals, so our individual take and outlook is going to make it a bit different for everyone. It's so true. And I, I want to get into a little bit about uh, your life as well as uh, as well as this book, because the book just sounds riveting. It really does. You uh, wanted to be a writer from a young age. And so writing about this seems to be writing about grief, your own as well as others, seems to be a, a therapeutic release for you. It actually is. I mean, that's where I found my relief and part of it was from writing because I just had always written about my feelings, you know, teenage angst and all of that. Right. But just naturally wrote about it and attempt and coming at it from as a writer and journalist, it just seemed to flow right into a book. So my Journal of Recovery actually became my first book, which is called Life with Alisa. The Outcast Podcast is supported by Richmond to DC Most folks who work here love living here. And that makes a difference. At Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com, they're proud to work the hometown advantage around the clock, connecting local employers to local job seekers. Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com makes it easy to post a job and it's local, so you won't get spammed by faraway job seekers. And if you're looking for a good local job, search jobs and apply online right now. Get the advantage of finding a job close to home at Richmond to DC HelpWanted.com. Local jobs that work. Now, Lisa was your wife that passed away. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about that story. And uh, I mean, did you expect for those journals to become a book? Uh, not really. But what had happened is I was, because we had moved about a year before her death. 
So I basically wrote down what I was going through and mailed it all back to my friends to let them know how I was doing. So eventually I just put it together in a book format and happened to know another parent at the school where my kids were who was a publisher. She said, well, she'd like to read it. I said, okay. So she actually suggested that she would like to publish it because her company dealt with grief and healing for doctors and professionals. And, and what a great tool. Um, obviously, uh, after it was uh, it was put into book form, I would imagine. I mean, I think we when we go through grief, you know, we look for a lifeline. We, we look for that 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 moment where we can say, OK, someone else has gone through what we're going through, at least a portion. And, and I want to grab onto that. Yeah, exactly right. Because I found that when I went to a grief support group. There were people who were also grieving either new grief or within a couple of months. And it helped me identify that I wasn't the only one going through it. And even my youngest son, who was only five at the time, he was in a grief support group at school. And he said, you know, Dad, there are kids like me. So that ability to identify with others just helped solidify that we weren't alone. There was a group we could relate to. And that it made it all sort of normal that we were there together and struggling like others. So true to be able to have somebody to identify with. Richard Ballow, author, on the show today. And we're talking about uh, several books that he has written, but a book that he has out right now, Bullets and Babies, A True Story of Love, Violence, and the Spirit to Live. Before we get into the book, tell us about Lisa. Uh, Lisa was, um, I just knew something was different the first day I met her. There's something that drew me to her that I wanted to get to know her better. Mm. She was a, she was a LPN nurse by training, and but she invented a medical product. And I'm thinking, wow, this lady has so much going for her. So we started dating, and you know we get to that moment in our dating where the woman turns to the man and says, uh, "We're going to get serious, or what?" <laughs> you know, so so I had that sort of deer in the headlights look. It's like. Oh, man, i got to think of something. Where is this going? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what it came down to was that I didn't want anybody from my past. It was just her. So she wanted, she wanted me to say that I loved her. Mm. I can't realize I didn't say that. So I, I guess I did the next best thing is I asked her to marry me. There you go. And three months later, we were married and went right into having children. We were already in our early 30s. So after... Five years of marriage, she was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And so we began our, you know, not what's for dinner tonight, honey, but uh, how are we going to live through this right. moments? So the journey for her uh, with cancer, how long was that and when did it end? Um, the journey took about, her journey was three and a half years and it ended with her death. She did the traditional chemotherapy went into alternative, you know, vitamin therapy, light therapy, um, meditation. We met, even met Deepak Chopra at one point oh, at wow. the Ayurvedic Center in Lancaster, Massachusetts. We traveled the country looking for her cure, her miracle. Mm. But I think the miracle that we found was that she lived about three years longer than her prognosis. Wow. It gave the kids time to age a little, I guess. They were only six and a half and five when she passed away. So, yeah, it was a tough time to watch what she was going through because I had no answers. 
Yeah. All I could all I could do was just be there for her. Did you start your grieving process uh, a lot earlier than the point of of death? I, I would imagine you were already starting to know what was coming, fear what was coming, and maybe already start to feel some of the things you might be feeling as it approached. Um, not on a conscious level. I yeah. was quite heavily into denial at that mm-hmm. time. Okay. Because Lisa was in denial, too. And it was about two weeks before her death that um, I got a phone call from her sister saying, what's going on? She wanted the full story because a friend of ours who was a surgical nurse said, Lisa wasn't going to make it till Christmas. And everything else I knew said she was. Right. So I immediately saw both her doctors in the hospital, questioned them, and then I started going into the shock and the realization that, oh, my word, this is actually going to happen, mm. which was sort of calming. I knew there was going to be an end in sight. And unfortunately, two weeks later, she did pass away. When oh. you you were talking about your kids uh, and and how young they were, obviously when uh, when their mom passed away, and I just I can't even imagine how you begin to unravel um, your your grief process. I, I hear a lot about uh, leaning into the grief and and mm-hmm. leaning into the moment. Was that true for you? Did you have to at some point say, okay, I'm going to lean in? Well, definitely. It's like I started basically about a month after she passed away into grief support groups and therapies because I knew that I had to get better in order for my kids to get better. Yeah, I wanted to minimize their trauma of losing their mother. And they had quite a bit, and they had fear. It's like, well, what happens if Dad goes? Yeah. <laughs> they even have the one if, what happens, Dad, if you marry somebody who doesn't like us? Mm. A lot and of I fear, said, yeah. That, yeah, and I said, that's not going to happen. Somebody's going to love all three of us or none of us. Right. It's all or nothing. When you started your so, process of, uh, of, of grieving uh, the loss of your wife and also of trying to uh, then pick up the pieces to get to the next day, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, the, the struggle I hear uh, as so many people grieve things and, and losses in their life uh, the struggle I hear is trying just to get to the next day. And, and how do you find the strength to do that? I'm sure people have, have asked you where you found that strength. What was the source of, of yours? I'm, I'm assuming some of it, obviously, your children. Yeah, my children were very motivating in helping me to keep going every day. And to, start, and to cope with my own grief, I'd take walks, I'd do physical activities, go biking, go for walks, or drive fast in my car, yell and scream. Yeah. And I didn't want them to see how bad I was doing because mm-hmm. I always wanted to show them that I was strong because they needed for me to be strong. It was just really a tough a tough deal to go through with, with both of them. I, I, I can, think they turned out all right. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. The the book that is uh, your current book is called Bullets and Babies, A True Story of Love, Violence, and the Spirit to Live. Where did the idea from uh, with this book come from? You're you're actually telling a, a true story in the book about a mother of four who was paralyzed after her husband accidentally shot her. What an insane story, uh, you know, to to just read in one line. But at the same time, I I, I see where your life can translate to to also writing this story. Right. I was at a business conference 
in my hometown here in Naples, Florida. And one of the women who found out it was a writer said, oh, well, I've got a story for you. And she said, a friend of hers in California was sharing a house with this woman in a wheelchair. I said, okay, that's kind of not too extraordinary. And she was shot. That piqued my interest. And then she was shot by her husband. Wow. And, and the more I learned, the more I could identify with what Janice must have been going through. So I arranged to get her number and started interviewing her and found out I could really relate to the struggles. You know, she was in a wheelchair. I lost a wife. It's still both of us were adapting to a new perspective on life, Mm -hmm. a new outlook through a traumatic incident. Right. When you look at the book now uh, and the story as you were writing the story and getting to know more about Mm -hmm. Janice, what, what was the thing that you connected with the most with Janice as far as, you know, obviously we're adapting to a new way of life and, and we're getting to the next day and, and we're finding the spirit to live. Like you mentioned in the, in the title of the book, what did you connect with? um, I'm sure you guys connected on such a deep emotional, emotional level. Well, we did because we were both, became single parents, Mm. two young children. Her kids were 7 to 15 at the time, even though mine were younger. But I connected that she had the resiliency to bounce back from the incident and previous incidences of violence in her life, that she had a self-awareness that she could accept what happened, work on it, and continue to go forward. Because as I was struggling, I could see that I needed that resilience also, and I'm pretty sure it came from both my faith and my upbringing and my family, and I could see that in her, so that was one way we connected. And, I mean, yes, she was shot and paralyzed by her husband at age 32, but she had been in car accidents, motorcycle accidents, beaten, strangled, Mm. and just her resiliency amazed me that I wanted to write her story. I think it needed to be told. It sounds like such a, a, just an an unbelievable story. You're right. And it's that, it's that like resiliency that, that attracts so much. And I can see that you have highlighted that uh, in such a great way in the book. Let me ask you this. Uh, We're talking, by the way, to uh, Richard Ballow and it's richardballow.com, the author of Bullets and Babies and a true story of love, violence, and the spirit to live. And that story um, focusing on the true story of Janice Riddle, a 32 year old mother of four who was paralyzed after her husband accidentally shot her and uh, Richard having his own uh, story of grief and uh, and how he dealt with that after the loss of his wife. Do you still uh, deal with your grief today in a way of with with your writing? Do you still find that is therapeutic in still handling your own personal grief? Well, I still I still write about grief, but I do it more from sort of analyzing what I went through so that other people can understand what grief is like and the instances that they can go through from not only personal view, but from also what the professionals have to say. So more analyzing it more, and that sort of, I guess it helps me a little bit because it's been quite a few years since my wife passed, but I still write about it because I want other people to know that they can get over it and that there are so many different issues. It's just like daily living. Everything comes from a different point of view. And if you can understand what's happening, 
it will help them deal with it and accept it that it is normal, normal to grieve, normal to cry, and normal to actually forget the person too. Not totally. They're always a part of our memory. But to get what they were like on a day-to-day basis and just basically live again. That's powerful. And, you know, I, you mentioned faith earlier, and it brought uh, brought back a, a quite a vivid memory in my mind of when uh, my grandfather passed away a few years ago. And I watched my grandmother, who had been married to him for over 30 years, just... Um, I watched her grieving process. I mean, we all had our own mm. grieving process, but I watched hers with such um, just love and admiration. And uh, at the same time, just to watch her lose the love of her life in her in her daily life and how she dealt with that. She also pulled so much strength from her faith. And I think that it's in even if you if your faith is 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 such a a small portion in your life boy it seems in times of grief we reach back and grab that and really uh, Mm -hmm. pull it to the forefront don't you think i think that's true because we go back to what we know what we can Mm -hmm. rely on what's Mm -hmm. been constant in our life you know i was angry at god which is which is normal in the situation yeah but i knew there had to be some reason for it and I'm sure I'll find out someday. And Janice sort of felt the same way. She knew that there was a purpose for her being in a wheelchair, even though she couldn't understand it at the time. She knew she would find out someday, and that she was there for God's reason, whatever that is. Another uh, thing that you brought up uh, regarding uh, crying and and th- and that part of the grieving process, that was another interesting conversation uh, that I had many times with my with my grandmother during her uh, grief process over many years. And she, at the beginning, I, I was very interested to watch her. She, at the beginning would try to suppress the tears, would try to push them away because, you know, it's it, nobody likes to sit and cry for 45 minutes. You know, it's it, it doesn't exactly. feel good in the body, uh, you know, uh, as you go through it, that, that physical that physical process of crying and, and what it does to you. But, you know, at some point, I think she realized, along with uh, getting some, some counseling on it, and, and it was just kind of a, you know, second nature for us to encourage her, don't chase away the tears and it sounds like uh, that's something that that you have found to be true too it is so true because that's one way of grief is inside of us we have to get it out mm-hmm. in order to overcome it and crying and those tears are one way that grief comes out it comes out with our tears it's a release it's physical it's the chemicals in the brain actually helping us to heal and knowing that we can feel we need to feel the grief but because the other side of the grief is the love we have for that person. Mm. It's sort of almost affirming what we did have. When you are out speaking to people, I know you do a lot of uh, speaking engagements, uh, not only about mm. your books, but obviously your your life and your life story and, and all of that. I'm sure people come up to you constantly afterwards and say, let me share a little bit of my grief story. And so I, I would imagine you, you hear a lot of that. I do. And it's really good to hear because everybody that, has approached me is in a different space and some of them just want to know that what they're going through is normal Mm. and I can reassure them at that and some people just need a hug to know that they're going to be okay because it really is just 
can be a very, it's a devastating loss. Do people ask you uh, the question, uh, you know, I feel like it's it's the question, it's almost like one of the, the, the common questions that you see and you read and you hear in, you know, a therapy session or a, a counseling session or a group session. How long will this last? How long will the grief last? It, obviously, it's different for everyone, but you almost want to know there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's true. People do want to know, and especially friends watching, they want to know. It's like they'll say, oh, it's been two months. You should be okay. How can you be okay in two months when you've lived a lifetime with a person and shared so much? But what I found in my personal experience was that the first year was intense grief. But I was able to see light at the end of the tunnel after that year. Then it becomes a year of loneliness. And then on the third year, I found myself incorporating the new me with the old me and getting that life back together because I had asked that same question when I was starting to grieve. I asked, how long is it going to be? And a, a friend and counselor that uh, both my wife and I had had at the time, she said, it's going to be five years. And I'm thinking, five years? It seems so long. Yeah. But looking back... Really, five years took care of the grief, the loneliness, the integration of the new life and getting my perspective back in line so that it could be basically functioning as well as I could, maybe not 100% at the time, but at least 80 to 90. So that's what I would say to people, even though that may not seem very hopeful. It's really when they start to feel the best. You remarried. Yes, I did. Tell us about, uh, it's Terry, right? Yes. Tell us about Terry. Oh, what can I say about Terry? It's like, you know, I was at the point in my life that I was ready to move, to go to a new city. I couldn't meet, I met a lot of nice women, but nobody who I could stay with. And then suddenly this lady with the gray spiky hair, the black glasses, and she had a boot on her left foot, walked into her Kiwanis club, and I'm thinking, well, here's somebody different. Right. And I just found myself saying things in front of her that I started questioning myself. So why am I saying these things in front of her about her? And I was always looking for her. And we started dating, and that was it. So we've been married almost four and a half years now. We found out, you know, we both are from Italian heritage. We were brought up similarly same outlook, same values, and she's divorced, so we just want to have fun in our lives. Hmm. We, work, we work hard, but we have lots of laughs, too. That's fantastic. And how how does she fit into your, I mean, how does she fit into your uh, process of, of what you dealt with prior to knowing her. I mean, that, that takes a lot of respect and a lot of maturity for someone new to come into something like that when someone has gone through such a devastating loss in their life. Well, she came in and she didn't try to be a parent. My children are actually are grown now. But she came in to help me and to have a life with me and accepted my children very well. My children and myself accepted her daughter and we have actually a great blended family. Her daughter got married last year, and my youngest son was the officiant. Oh, wow. 
yeah, we just really enjoy each other's company. What a great testament to uh, people that, you know, have been through such devastating loss with losing a spouse, especially, and then being able to know that there are more chapters in this book. Oh, there definitely are. You know, we have had a lot of fun together. We had a, a great family wedding and just in a big, rented a big house so all our family could stay for the weekend. We had a great time. We get together. I have my oldest son, who was six and a half at the time his mom died, is now 30. He's got three sons, so we have grandchildren together, and we go to Grandparents' Day at school, and it's just we're trying to create fun, happy memories and put the past negative emotions away. They're always deep down inside, and they can be remembered at any time, but the question is, why do I want to go live in the past? Right. We want to live in the present. Let's have some fun. Life is short. You know, my wife's an accountant. She deals with elder clients, people in their 80s and 90s, and see what they struggle with. And we want to enjoy our health while we have it. It's just such an important part of our life to enjoy ourselves and give back to our community. What an important message, and I want to end off here uh, talking a little bit more about the book in just a second, but as I know, people gravitate to uh, what tools they can grab and put in their own toolbox to be able to get through what they're going through in their lives. I know people are listening to this who uh, have just gone through a lot of things, who have just suffered a huge loss, who have uh, been dealing with grief maybe that they have had for a couple of years and wondering why it hasn't gone away. What is your first and uh, maybe biggest, what is your biggest piece of advice for someone going through devastating loss, devastating grief right now? I think the first thing I would say is that to accept that the grief is natural that you have to go through it and work through it in order to get out the other side. And it's difficult work. It's hard. It involves crying and depression and anger. And all those things can come within seconds of each other. But there will be daylight. They are going to be okay. And to just try the, try the forms of expression that work best for them. For me, it was writing. Other people can be art or normal routine, or physical exercise, and definitely support groups are a great way to get the help needed to feel that you're part of something and you're not alone. I love it. Richard Ballow is the author of Bullets and Babies, A True Story of Love, Violence, and the Spirit to Live. And you'll want to read about Janice's story in that book. You'll also be able to find Richard's other books and see Richard's story and find out more about him at richardballow.com. Thank you so much, sir, for being on the show today. This has been fantastic. Thank you for what you do. And I hope that life continues to pour joy in your book, in your book of life. So uh, that is a wonderful thing. And it looks like you are turning some great pages. So thank you very much for being on the show and sharing with us today. Well, thank you for having me on, Dee. I enjoyed being here. This is The Outcast. I stand with you and I stand for you. You can always get me on email at d at wbqb.com. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of Centennial Broadcasting.